Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to APRA's Hey Advocacy podcast. My name is Amy Turbis, and I am very lucky to be here today with my friend, my colleague, a mentor, and also um, APRA board member, Mark Anke. Hey, Amy. Hi, Thanks. Mark. Thanks for doing this this morning. For sure. I'm really excited. This should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I hope and every- I'm oh. honored that you call me a mentor. It's I'm true. a little intimidated by that, because- <laughs> You seem too smart to need a mentor. Oh, no, everyone needs mentors. So That's let's just true. hope that Mark lives up to his mentorship in this interview today. Yeah, no pressure. Thanks. <laughs> so the advocacy committee asked us to sit down and kind of talk a little bit. They wanted us to focus on your presentation on power, influence, and critical relationships. Now, you've given this presentation at least three times. Am I correct about that? Yes, like in varying forms. Um, it started out as just a, a short, short, you know, like 75 minute um, presentation at a APRA, a big APRA conference. And then I've done it a couple of chapters since then and expanded it to be more of like a, oh, I think three hours total with uh, like a part one of part, part two. So I've, yeah, spent a lot of time with it. I didn't realize that it expanded that much. That's great. Um, yeah. I'm real curious about sort of the origins of the talk and and then more importantly, why the talk is so important to us as a profession. So I'm hoping that we, we get we cover that today. Um, mm-hmm. I think the advocacy committee knows that this talk is, I keep saying, has been spoken to with much acclaim, um, that folks really enjoy it, but that the message is very important to our profession right now. And for those of you out there in APRA world who maybe have not heard it, I'm hoping that Mark and I will be able to tweak your interest and give you some fun tidbits to grow from. And then those who have already heard Mark speak, that maybe that you learned something new today. So that's what I'm kind of hoping for as well. Um, Mark, so why? Where did, this, where did this idea come from? Why this presentation? Oh, I, that's a really good question because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, why did I do this? Um, you know, I mean, I think some of it kind of came organically from a lot of like uh, reading and listening that I do. Um, I'm a huge, huge nerd with like uh, management reading, leadership books, those sorts of things. Um, I also listen to a podcast called Manager Tools, which if uh, you're a new manager, I can't uh, emphasize enough is really, really fantastic because it's super um, it's super practical in terms of like uh, um, they don't they don't use like. Uh, be an be an authentic leader and blah 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 like all this touchy feely stuff that doesn't mean anything. They actually talk about like real management um, techniques that you can use, and so I fell in love with that podcast. But they veered into a space where they were talking about, um, you know, there was one topic they talked about which is called pre-wiring, um, and you know. And I can explain more of that later, I guess. But, you know, basically it was like, oh, there are these concepts around power and and around influence and around getting things done when you don't have authority um, that, that, you know, really resonated for me. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that really kicked off my interest in the topic was um, I had a supervisor in a previous job, I want to say it was like six or seven years ago, who in my annual review, like, you know, you get your normal annual review every year and it's like, you're doing a good job. You, you know, you're used to great inflation. So here's your A, right? (laughs) And 
you know, I'm not a millennial, but sometimes I act like one and not to dish on millennials, but like, you know, if there was any negative comments, I'm like, oh boy, this is terrible. Right. Like we're just used to that. And that's a whole other thing that we don't. I think that's some, I think that's our field. I feel like we're, we're all sort of, we're, I like to call us grade, grade grubbers. Like we always want the gold star. I think, I don't know what that says about prospect development professionals, but I don't think you're alone in that. Well, that's good. Thank you for validating my feelings with that. (laughs) But in this review that I got from my boss, she was like, um, she said, uh, you need to, what was it? You need to be more diplomatic and you need to include more people in decision-making and you need to, um, you know, get things done through others basically. And so I, I, after getting over my being terribly offended at the fact that I was given any sort of criticism that was actually really beneficial for me, um, I said, well, I really want to, I really want to dig into this and get better at this because if you're identifying this as something that I can be better at, then I want to do that. I think part of my problem too was that she said, uh, you need to get better at this as opposed to you're doing a good job and here's how you could be better, right? Like, so I've, that's a piece that I've used in my own management. Like, oh, here's what not to do. Um, don't tell someone they need to get better, but tell them here's how you can be even better, right? So, um, and I've, Apparently, a lot of this is just plain old, like, let's manage our, our egos and everything. Um, but anyway, so like I said to my boss, I'm like, I really want to learn this stuff. I really want to get better, better at this. How should we go about this? And she, you know, we talked through like, oh, do I go to a training thing at, at a university or whatever, you know, some leadership certificate or something like that? Or, or, you know, what is it? And finally, we realized we have a lot of really smart people on campus who are doing this sort of thing. How about if I just go and interview them and um, and find out, you know, how they're doing that, essentially? How are they influencing? How are they getting things done without having formal authority? And there was one guy in particular I talked to at the college there who he inherited a program like this summer on-campus program um, that at the time that he got there was losing in the mid five figures every year for the school. So it was basically just like, it wasn't meant to be a moneymaker. Um, he got there in like 2008 or so. Uh, so just before all the... Re- the recession stuff yeah. hit. Um, and th- within, you know, a couple of years, he turned that program around from being a mid five figure loss to a six figure gain. Like the college started profiting from what he was doing because he turned stuff around. It was him and his assistant. That's all they had. And they had the authority to like run this program. But beyond that, like they didn't have, he didn't have staff to do things for him. So he had to lean on all sorts of people across campus. And so the conversation with him was mind blowing from the perspective of hearing all the different ways that he leverages other people and does all sorts of things to like, you know, get them to help him out and for them to like want to do favors for him. Um, so that I think was sort of the seminal, um, example for me of like what the 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 scope of of possibility there is when you're able to harness power and influence beyond your authority and your title um and i you know for me it really resonated because i was like oh i want to do cool stuff but i think for all of us in our in our seats within uh prospect development um we're coming from a place where we're not bringing in the dollars we're you know so we don't get the accolades or the, you know, direct recognition and we don't tend to be put in positions of, you know, great, you know, title and power and that sort of thing. Right. Like most of us are, you know, we can aspire to be like a senior director or maybe an AVP kind of thing. So like the formal side of it just doesn't come for us. So if we want to get stuff done, we have to find ways to do that, that incorporates, um, a lot more, you know, uh, uh, other forms of power beyond just formal role and title type of stuff. Um, 
so, you know, that was really what I think kicked off my interest in this space. And I've really just kind of kept at it and kept thinking about, well, how, how else do we keep turning this and, and adding to it and finding ways to, um, to implement that for ourselves. Before you go any further, I just want everyone to remember that Mark said he shouldn't be my mentor, except let's just, if you've heard Mark's story, he took a critique or criticism and he, instead of maybe reading an article or going, doing a webinar or going to a conference, he went into his own resources on his campus and learned about what other people were doing just to better himself. So Mark, <laughs> of course you're my mentor. <laughs> you're I'm, too kind. I'm learning from you're you. Are, I'm, and we've known each other many years and I'm already like, I had no idea he did all that work for this one presentation. That's amazing. I didn't do it for the presentation. I, know. I just happened to get a really cool presentation out of it. I think it was really cool. It's really fun. Yeah. And so I, I want everyone to know out there that Mark works very hard at what he does to be a better person and a better professional. And if, if you learn anything from this podcast, it's we should all be doing that. So. Oh, well. Goodness. Goodness. So much praise. <laughs> Good thing it's a podcast. Right? So you were able to kind of translate that that message or that understanding of how to, to do this influence into your own work. So then were you did you decide, you know, I really should probably take this to, to APRA, to the PD and share this with others? Did you talk about it with somebody who was like, you know, you probably should give this presentation, you should create a presentation? What sort of spurred that kind of confidence on? Did you have some sort of success in your own work that you felt like was worth sharing? Mm, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was I'm like, oh, there's something here, even if I'm not doing it perfectly, even if I can't, like, um, you know, I mean, I look at that presentation sometimes and I go, I should really listen to myself do that presentation sometimes because I'm not living it out. Right. And I, I think a lot of us fall into that trap of like, oh, I'm not an expert. I don't do this perfectly. But I still felt like, well, there's something there to share that I feel like we can all benefit from. Um, and, you know, as I've thought about it, too, it's like this this isn't this absolutely isn't a topic that is, you know, specifically for. Uh, prospect development professionals, right? right? Um, anyone can benefit from this, from learning how to influence. I mean, right, I mentioned the, the Manager Tools podcast. That's a, from, you know, these guys are working in the corporate space. They're talking about these types of issues. This is a big thing for everyone. And so, um, you know, I think part of it was, I, I was like, we aren't talking about this a whole lot. And yet this is one of the things that continues to be a stumbling block for us is that we go, oh, I want a seat at the table. Um, well, learn how to build a chair and bring it to the table. You know what I mean? Like we can do that. We can be our own craftsmen. We can be our own people who create those things. We can be the people who figure out how to, you know, sort of work the system. And I, and I think, you know, yeah, it, it, it really just came out down to that, that I was like, we have the potential as an industry and we're just not doing it enough. Um, you know, for the first few years and I would go to the big international conference, you know, I kind of felt like we, we, we'd get into the habit of kind of complaining about, Oh, they don't do this. They don't do that. And um, I think we're, I feel like the conferences are very different now where we're much more empowered and much more like that type of woe is me type of uh, thinking and, and, and uh, conversation is, is much, it, it's gone, right? It's, well, it's not gone, but it's way reduced because I think we see that we have that and we, but we do need the tools. And so the biggest thing for me was, I, you know, there's some tools in here that I'm hoping people can benefit from. And so, um, and even though I, I knew that I, I'm, I'm not an expert on it, I'm not the best person at it. I still know that 
you know, by bringing it forward, it would add some value. And I think, you know, just as an aside, if, if I think everyone should be thinking about those types of things in their shop, they're like, well, this is going kind of well, or this is a good idea. They should find a way to present on that at APRA, right? Find a way to share that because they're going to be recognized as experts more broadly, but they're also benefit. They're also providing benefit to everyone. So like, if you're like, oh, I'm on the fence. I don't, maybe I'm not the best person. No, you are the best person. Keep talking about stuff and getting stuff out there. So that's my plug for presenting at APRA. I, I think I'm obligated legally to do that. So done. I'll check that box off. Just so you all know, we are not obligated legally to do that, but I was also <laughs> going to do the same thing. And say, you know, I used to think I was a one trick pony when it came to presentations, like there was only one thing I could talk about. But as time has gone on, there's always something that you're doing or that you want to be doing that can be shared. So I'm mm. just going to echo what Mark said. If you have an idea, right. do it. Can we go back to the building of the chair, which I really yeah. love, actually, that idea. I have so many images of you building a chair and scooting it up to a table. But um do you talk, can you, I guess I kind of want to get a little bit into your presentation now, or at least mm -hmm. some of the resources or what you share with people so that those who are listening to this podcast have a little sense of what you're, what you're, you're talking about leading from where you stand, which I love, mm -hmm. but I want to, I think you're going to provide them with some tools or some ideas. So how do you build the chair? I mean, yeah, yeah. Good. Great question, Amy. Um, did you prepare? This is fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, so to kind of hit some of the high points of what I talk about in that presentation, um, you know, the number one thing is that we have to break ourselves from the thinking that there's only one type of power, right? You assume that because someone has a title that they've got all the power. Um, you know, I, I, you know, my boss is uh, the SVP at my organization. And I think, you know, five years ago, I think, well, she can get anything done she wants to get done. And she and I have been talking about things that she wants to get done. She can't get them done right now because she hasn't found the right, you know, where, where she needs to go and stuff. So like title alone doesn't do it for you, right? That's kind of the misnomer that we think of because most of the time when we're in a position of being this, the, the subject or the recipient of power or, or like driven by power, it's from like our boss, right? It's someone telling us what to do. Um, and so we kind of, first of all, have to recognize that there's actually, you know, I break it into three different types of power. There's, you know, formal role power, like we all know. Um, and then there's also expertise power. And then there's relationship power. And with expertise power, it's basically like, um, you know, if you're a subject matter expert or you are able to do something that other people can't do, you have that kind of power because you're the person who can get this thing done or whatever, right? So a lot of us, we have that kind of power as researchers where we have a special superpower in terms of being able to, um, you know, find and pull together and, and analyze and interpret information about a prospective donor, which is something that, you know, there's uh, everyone in the organization, everyone in the organization can Google, fine. Our superpower is well beyond that, right? So recognizing that we have that sort of power through that expertise or through running a prospect management program or through knowing how to do, um, you know, fundraising analytics stuff, right? So we hold the power in terms of being able to do that sort of thing. So we, you know, you know that there's some respect and some uh, deference that comes with that. And so when you say, no, we shouldn't do X, Y, Z because, um, you know, from the prospect management perspective, that won't work, blah, blah, blah. Because you have that expertise, people, you know, you have that sort of influence over where the conversation is going. But that third type of power, relationship power, is the one that is uh, the one that I really bang on in my presentation um, because it is the most powerful one and it's the easiest one to develop, right? So, you know, if you think about formal authority, it takes a long time to get like, you know, 
more more budget or more staff, right? Like it just takes a lot of work and time and energy and all sorts of stuff to make that happen. So formal authority is harder to procure. Expertise power is, um, you know, you can you can uh, get better at things and get smarter at things and 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 develop more expertise. Uh, the power only comes with it when other people have when their perception of your expertise also increases, right? So not only do you have to learn the skills and become the expert, you have to show other people that you're the expert, right? So that takes a while as well. Um, and those are two that can be somewhat ignorable to some extent. Um, they're, they're, I would say they're easier to ignore from like a, a, a how we're wired as humans perspective than relationship power. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, relationship power is much more, it's much more into the emotional space and how we feel about people and how they make us feel. Right. And so any one of us can make people like us more and, and, and find, get them more connected to us in really little, simple, easy ways. Right. So, um, some of it is just building relationships with people. Um, who, um, Emily Walsh at, at, at she, University, University of Arizona. Yeah. She, she's in an AVP role now. And she, it was funny. She said to me one day, she's like, yeah, um, it's surprising how much of my job is just chewing the fat with people. She's like, <laughs> that's how I get things done. It's just like shooting the breeze with a fundraiser. Um, and that's, that really speaks to relationship power where she's, she's building these connections and relationships with people so that, um, not only are they, are they aware of her, uh, but they're aware of what she does and her point of view and who she is and that she's on their side and that, you know, they will, you know, she's charming and delightful and naturally finds ways to get people to like her without even trying. Right. And, and so what happens then is people, um, you know, people are on her team, right? If, if your friend comes to you and asks for, um, a favor, you, you, you're going to do it for them, right? Because they're your friend. There's a social capital there that you have between you. Um, but if, you know, the, the clown down the hall, who's a real jerk asks you for your favor, I don't know about you. I'm kind of petty. I'm not going to do it. Right. <laughs> and so like, and, and it's, so a lot of it is just like building relationships, which I'm an introvert, right? Like I, if, put me in the the exhibit hall at the conference like a big cocktail party with a bunch of people I don't know and I'm like please I hope my next drink is poisoned because I don't want to be here right now <laughs> you know? I'm like I don't I don't like it but I, I do like the one-on-one -on -one stuff but it's hard it's hard for me to like introduce myself to people it's hard for me to um you know get to know people um there, there's just a, it just doesn't come naturally to me so you know, some of the things I talk about in my presentation are kind of the blocking and tackling of like being a human with other humans, right? Like ask people about their families, ask people about their hobbies, ask people what they're working on and just continually show interest in other people. And they'll, you'll begin to develop that rapport, right? Um, be, so, you know, relationship power is super easy to develop from that perspective because it's really just about, you know, getting to know people, getting them to know you a little bit. And it does take time and energy, right? Like I spend a lot of time scheduling lunches or coffees or whatever, but it pays off in spades. It's just amazing how much easier everything is when I have an existing relationship with someone and I go, I'm trying to do this thing. Can you help me with that? Can I, hold on. Can I interrupt yeah, you for yeah, a moment? Okay. So I... I... I did want to talk to you a little bit about the tools you or the tips you give to introverts to do this, because, you know, I think when I first joined um, APRA and I went to my first PD, someone or maybe it's a couple PDs and someone said, you're the most extroverted P prospect development professional I've ever met, you know, and and I thought, huh, I do like to be the only person talking in the room, don't I? 
But more and more, our field has expanded. We have a few more extroverts in there. You you have a few friends, my, me being mm-hmm. one of them. And so this relationship building, quite frankly, comes is sort of intuitive to me and in, into how I'm wired. Um, for those out there who have done their Gallup strengths, I'm a woo. I win. Yeah. One of my strengths is to win others over. Um, and... Mark is laughing at me, not loudly, yeah, well, but he's chuckling to himself. Well, the strengths finder thing has, you know, like it's, you know, what, 50 different strengths that you yeah. can have and you take your top five. Five, yeah. And they're into different buckets of like, you know, there's sort of a relationships bucket. Exactly. There's, a, you know, strategy bucket. There's a getting stuff done, but, you know, whatever. I don't have any in the relationship bucket. Like none of my strengths are in that space. Well, so it is work for me. But Which yeah, is ahead. funny because I think almost most of mine are in the relationship bucket and then I get bummed when they're not in like the strategic bucket or something, which is not <laughs> how you should look at your Gallup strengths. I diverge. Right, right. Anyway, so as an extrovert who does find some of this relationship building intuitive, what am I missing? Am I, am I, ta- could I be taking something for granted? Um, do you, I wonder sometimes with the relationship building, do we get to become, are we, do we tend to pretend, do we, come off as the smartest person in the room, which isn't winning anybody any favors. I, I just, when I read, when I was thinking about your presentation and how you approached it, I'm like, oh, relationship building, that's sort of often how I start my influence. And it, and it's worked for me. I can, mm-hmm. I can say that. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm doing it right all the yeah. time. Oh, this is such a good question. Um, yes, I... So, like coming from this sort of introversion space of, you know, I use, you know, I've said it before, I used to, I used to be like, I hate people. Um, And, and now I'm much now I'm like, people are basically the best thing ever, right? Wow. So there, for me, I'm like, look at this accomplishment of I'm blossoming from this ugly social duckling into a beautiful social swan. (laughs) And then I stop there and I'm like, all the self-discovery. I'm so great. Way to go, Mark. Um, and then I stop, right? And so what what happens, what happened to me, and I'm I'm trying to dig back out of this, is that my my relationship building stuff switched from being strategic to being um sort of more just personal fulfillment recreational. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, like so now, you know, if I'm thinking about, oh, I should have another lunch, you know, I haven't had a lunch with anyone in a couple of days, I should, you know, get I should meet with someone and, you know, make sure I keeping up with them or whatever. I default to my favorite people in the organization. Right. So I'm like, well, this person's really cool. I'm going to hang out with him or, you know, I haven't talked to her and she's super funny. So let's grab a cup of coffee and, you know, and so it shifted away from the strategic space. And I think that, you know, when you think about, you know, of course we need to be able to develop a relationships. I think the important part for when you're thinking about influence and power and everything is to do so in, um, in a much more strategic and thoughtful way. So it's not just organic. Who are the people that I get along with? And in fact, I, I would say that some of the people that you get along with the least are some of the people you should spend more time with, which if, you know, if I'm just doing what feels right and just kind of going that direction, I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things. And I'm still like ugh, thinking about it. I'm like, God, you're, you're not doing that very well right now, Mark. You got to get back on the horse with that. Um, some, you know, so I, I mentioned that I've, I've taken the smaller presentation and blown it out a bit more. Um, you know, the second portion of it that I've kind of grown on, grown with that is some of the thinking around your networks and, and you know, who are all the stakeholders in the in your sort of sphere that you have to, you have needs of theirs that you have to meet or that, you know, they're, you um, 
you know, it's important for you to keep them happy, right? So naturally your boss is on that list. Um, if you're a prospect researcher, you probably have sort of clients who you're doing, um, you know, research for, you need to keep them happy. And then you keep thinking about that um, in the context of like, well, who are all my customers like that? And then you add in a layer of who are the people who have influence over things that make my life easier or harder or whatever, or can you know help me out with bigger things. And when you think through all that stuff and you start kind of comparing uh, all these different people that you have that you need to be aware of in your whole uh, space, um, you start seeing, oh, these people are really important because they're, it's a number one customer. It's someone who has a lot of control over things that really matter to me. It's someone who I think can help me with some opportunities. So you go, okay, that's a person I have to keep building with. And, you know, like I've even, you know, I have regular check-ins with my boss. I've even done things though where I'm like, hey, can we just go grab a cup of coffee and gab for a little bit? Um, just some of it to um, uh, build a relationship more, just more personally. Some of it to... Um, talk about issues that we don't normally get to in my regular meetings with her because it's you know same cadence once a week we sit down in our office face to face both have our desks full of stuff if we break that scenery and get somewhere else we can address a different topic we can you know it changes how we're uh set up to it, it changes the stage for for the conversation and everything i still spend time you know doing that sort of thing, building that relationship there. Cause that's one of the top ones on my big list of my whole network stuff. So I have to find ways to continue to build that relationship in a lot of different ways and keep that very, very healthy beyond just the regular, you know, whatever. So when you figure that, when you kind of stack rank everyone and say, okay, this is where everyone falls within the space of who I need to care about and who has power in certain kinds of ways, shape, ways shapes and forms. Um, how am I doing in terms of um, keeping those relationships up, keeping those fresh, keeping uh, people close, being aware of what they're concerned with, what they're, um, what they care about, what what's keeping them up at night? Um, because when you understand all those things, you know better how to you know, show up in certain ways or when to bring people into your conversation, right? Because if someone's like, oh, this thing is keeping me up at night and you're, you're thinking about that or you know how to help solve that or even you're like, oh, I was about to make this way worse for this person. If you know that, you can get in front of it and you can manage it way better, right? So that's the biggest thing. If you're an extrovert and you're doing a lot of this stuff naturally or it's not so strategic, thinking about what is that whole network of people that you're involved with look like um, and then... You, and then working against that and saying, okay, how am I doing in terms of keeping score? Um, it's, it's almost as though you need a system to manage all of your prospects of, um, of, of influential people uh, so that you ensure that you're keeping them warm, right? <laughs> it's relationship management. management. Our whole lives are relationship management. No, that's I, true. Um, I like, though, the reminder not to get lazy. You know, yeah. that even if something's easy for you, I think we can all attest that in this mm. power of influence, one of those landscape, you know, whether it's your title and your position or whether it's the work that you're doing or if it's a relationship, we could all get lazy in any one of those places. And we have to always be remembering to be strategic and growing and learning. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that because, yes, I can as an extrovert, I can get lazy. I mm -hmm. naturally gravitate towards the people who. I've gotten to know better and sit mm -hmm. with or talk to and sometimes don't put myself out there. Particularly our division right now is growing quite a bit and mm. we have a lot of new people. And then I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, I don't need to meet any more of these new people. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're all lovely and they're smart and they'll do great work. But does that mean that I need to get to know them? And the answer is yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do yeah. need to get to know them. So, no, I, I know what you mean. Like we have been on kind of a hiring boom here. I mean, there's just been a lot of turnover and change at my organization. And like there's every time, you know, there's someone new, like I love meeting the new people. I love, you know, telling them what we can do and then eventually winning them over. I've got a little bit of woo too. Um, but like, <gasps> what? just a tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> um, but I'm just like, you know, there is that sense of oh, God, another person I have to explain what prospect development is and be like, okay, here's my spiel. And then, you know, have to deal with okay where are they come they're coming from this place where they had prospect development but it's terrible or they didn't have it at all and so they're doing everything on their own you know so like yes it totally stinks sometimes to be like oh, i have to get this person on my side now but like it's it's so valuable right and like when i'm not being a bratty 13 year old about it i know that yes this is good and i will feel good when i establish this relationship and i will win them over and you know this is the right thing to do it's funny because when we have those meetings very often some of the folks i, I don't even i before we even get in there i think how are we going to interact with this this person because in some ways mm -hmm. we may not interact with them but by the end of it i'm usually saying this is how we're going to interact with you <laughs> and um, so that we actually do expand our work a little bit, because if we have someone, you know, we had a new donor relations program coordinator. We work with some of the members on her team. But then as we got to talking and she actually came from a prospect development um, background, we're like, oh, hmm. wait, this is how we're going to work together. So we take a little bit of opportunity um, to do that. I also do a lot of horn tooting in those type of meetings. I know this is about oh, you, not me, but no, I, no, 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 no. This I, is good. I horn toot a lot. I, you know, I point out that the people around the table know more about the database than most people that we work with everybody in the division. And so if you ever have a question, most of the time we'll be able to help you with the answer, at least tell you how to get to where you need to go. You know, I sort of turn us into the people to know a little bit you, in those meetings. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, I like that you use the phrase horn tooting, which like technically not a verb, but it sounds like some sort of medieval medical treatment. You know what I mean? In the good way or the bad way? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it was a it was a terrible horn tooting. <laughs> like, but you're really just talking about like it, yes, it come right. You're saying you're tooting, tooting your own, own horn. horn. Pat yes, myself yes, on the yes. back. Yeah, sorry. But but right. That's I mean, that's advocacy, right? Like uh -huh. we have to be able to say, here's what we do and why it's important. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, as much as so, so I'm at United Way now and it's it's a really weird organization. It's just it's totally different in terms of how it does fundraising and, and how it fits in and how it sees itself and everything. And it's just like, wow, this is I, I'm on Mars now and I'm trying to show them how we make cheeseburgers. OK, so it's just really, really weird. Um, so I a ton of time explaining what prospect development is and honestly like i i do appreciate that um th that i've had to do that because it helps me better articulate the value that we bring you know when i was at carlton it, it was an established shop it had been there for like 30 years right so my boss who hired me she was one of the people who founded the minnesota prospect research association in 1981 or whatever right so like we had a little bit of history in the department there. So like people just were like, oh, this is what prospect development is. Okay, I get it. And, and then it was just, you know, prospect research at that point. Um, so I never had to really explain to anyone what it was that we did or how we could add value. And I'm doing that a ton now, right? So, you know, I think if I was in the situation where 
I was, you know, back at Carlton in that place where it's generally understood and assumed, um, I would probably now knowing what I know, I would um, spend more time telling more people across campus what it is that we do, because it would have added more benefit for the department. Because, you know, there's people who are coming across information or learning things all the time, if they understand how we fit in with that, they're much more likely to, um, you know, partner with us or share with us or whatever. Um, I would have done way more of that. And I would have done way more like defining and, and helping to guide, you know, people's understanding of what our value is and reinforce that to the point where, you know, I'm tired of saying it. And it's like, shouldn't people understand right now? No, nobody understands. They don't remember. They, you know, we're all creatures of habit whatever we learned five years ago is the thing that we still think is true, right? Like right. We, that's just what we do. And so it takes time to undo those thoughts or understandings and replace them with new ones. So I would get in the ha I would want to get in the habit of telling more people about who we are and what we do and what value we add and helping them see that. I think in a lot of cases we default to, well, I don't know. We'll see what they need. What are they asking for? I don't, that's not our role. I don't think that that's where we had the most value because we're experts about what we can do and if we're putting on our critical thinking hats and understanding what other people's problems are we can say you know what we've got this skill to be able to attack that problem with and we can apply that in your case right like we just don't do enough of that i don't think i think a lot of it is very much straight up reactive service oriented and we talk about being proactive and that sort of thing and i think that in the context of certain types of deliverables you know uh, pushing to people instead of waiting for people to ask. That's kind of our thinking around proactiveness, which is good. But I feel like we kind of move, need to move to a second level proactiveness or, you know, the next level of that in terms of, you know, being much more, um, you know, helping to unearth problems and provide solutions before people realize their problems. Oh. And I think in places, you know, if you're in a well-established shop, you see a lot less of that. Where I am, our our funding business model is changing. The way that we raise money is changing, right? So, like, all the way down to the core. So, we're in a place where we have to have someone from my shop talking to them about, here's what we bring to the table. Tell us about more about your problems, and we'll tell you more about how we can solve them. Um, and I, I think that, again, back to the lazy thing, and I don't want to put it so pejoratively um, because we just all we're busy, right? We only have so much mental space. We only have so much bandwidth to deal with things. But I think in a lot of cases, we end up in this place of, ah, I'm just going to keep doing my job, right? Because that's I'm going to do what's asked of me. Um, I can't, I just want to go home and play video games and drink late at night. Um, no, maybe no one else does that. Maybe that's just me. Um, so like, you know, we don't, it, it, it's, it's more work, but that's one of the ways that when you're the person who's coming to the table with solutions, because you understand other people's problems, because you have been interacting with them and building that relationship and listening to them, you become a valuable resource. So people go, you know, who can fix this thing? Or we've got this problem, or I feel like there might be a problem. Well, let's talk to the prospect development folks. They're smart. They can, you know, find good ideas or see things in a different way or, or apply whatever tools they've got to the problem that we have. Um, you know, that's a lot of what a lot of this stuff is too. Like it's, it's a version of, of horn tooting, um, in the best possible way where in, you don't even have to show people or you don't even have to tell people, you know, Oh, we're so great. You show them, you know, you're, you're providing solutions to their problems that they don't even know that they have yet. Right. The only way we can do that is if we're, if we're talking to people and we're listening to them and we're, um, if, if we're putting ourselves in, in the, the, the place where we can understand what other people are really worried about or focused on or trying to do or whatever. I love that idea. And it kind of leads me to another part of this discussion I wanted to have. And I, we might, you might have already answered it, but in the next five, 10 years in our profession, 
what do you want us to be talking about? You know, like you mentioned in the first few PDs that you had attended, there was a lot of the, they don't listen to me, I can't get a seat at the table. And then you're saying, okay, build your chair, get on up there. But then you're just talking now about it's more than being proactive. It's about it's about anticipating. It's about seeing a bigger picture that more people are involved in and, and helping be solution makers. So in our field, what do you want the conversation to be about in five or 10 years? What kind of, you know, where do you want people to grow? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, man. Well, I think for me, a lot of it is, I, I was sitting in a big meeting, um, maybe last week or so, and it was with all of the advancement team. And because of all the changes that we've had, there's been a lot of, you know, all sorts of new roles created and, and whatnot. And so there are some support roles, sort of operational in nature, that, um, and even some like stewardship type stuff and things like that. And even that's a weird thing here that I won't get into. But, um, you know, just a lot of people are like, who are you, you know, this person was doing this, and now what are they doing? I don't understand. So, you know, our SVP of advancement, um, you know, had these six different people talk about um, what it is that they do and and how the fundraisers can rely on them and leverage them, right? And so it was, you know, a lot of it was kind of like repackaging of, okay, you used to go to this person for this thing, now you're going to go to me, and this is how this process works, blah, blah, blah. Um, she didn't include me in that in that group of people, and which is fine. I later, I was talking to the person who was leading, I said, oh, I was supposed to circle up back with you and make sure I was on that, and, and she's like, oh, no, 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 you know, you the, the SVP said that that you you would be handled separately or whatever. So okay, cool, that's fine. Um, but as people were going around, I was like, oh, what if you know, out of the blue, you know, my boss is just like, hey, Mark, and why don't you speak for your team and what you guys do and how that works, right? So I had to think really fast about how do I very succinctly explain to people what we're doing in this big group meeting where five other people have just said what they're doing and what they can go to. Um, and the thing that kind of, you know, really hit me was prospect development is about um, helping to lead strategy through good insights. And those insights can be informed by, you know, prospect research profiles, by reporting from the prospect management system that we build and run, from any sort of analytics work that we're doing, forecasting, looking out, whatever. Um, I, I think some organizations are doing this right. And I, I and and I I hope that more of them, more people from those types of organizations, where when I say this, they're like, yeah, duh. If you're saying yeah, duh, when I to, to my next thing, then you should absolutely make sure you're putting presentations forward to APRA so that you talk about your yeah, duh thing. And what I what I what I'm gonna say is, um, you know, the prospect development team, uh, to me, should be that central source of all business intelligence for the fundraising function, and should be at the hip right there in the holster of your your your, uh, your fundraising leadership, whether that's your CEO or your SVP, where we're informing everything that's going on there in terms of, you know, where are areas of opportunity? Um, where are the areas of risk? Where are the, you know, what does it look like five years from now? What do we need to anticipate in terms of risks 10 years from now uh, that we can see in the data or we can see some trends or whatever that we should raise up and at least be thinking about? Um, you know, 
and some organizations are doing that, but I feel like we should be in a place where that is assumed, that is known, right? Like, I, I think in a lot of business settings, the business intelligence stuff is is much more, um, it has a higher profile. It's it's more um, valued. It's more assumed, that, oh, of course, you've got, you know, a, a top-level analytics team providing good forecasting and, and good, you know, risk management and all that. Um, I think about United Way, um, where I'm currently at, and you know, one of the biggest challenges we're going through right now is that uh, United Way's funding model has been, we raise money in the workplace. We go in, we're on a United Way campaign, people give through their campaign, um, and then we're gone. And that's how people know United Way. Um, the biggest sort of advantage that that gives us the, the position, you know, sort of our biggest asset that we had for decades was the monopoly on the on the access to people in the workplace. We were essentially for a lot of people, their entrance, their, their, their introduction to philanthropy. You know, if someone go, if you're asking someone, well, you know, how do you, where do you put your philanthropic dollars? They go, oh, well, I just give at the office. We do a United Way campaign to give there. That goes into the community, right? Well, the landscape for fundraising has completely changed. The barrier to entry to fundraising is totally gone, right? I can put up a Kickstarter page or a GoFundMe page or whatever right now and be like, uh, you know, Mark wants to throw a really awesome 40th birthday party. Like, I think there's someone in the prospect development world who literally did that like last week. I saw on Facebook. I want I want to say I can't I'm not going to name names, but I feel like there was someone who literally said, hey, I want to have a really awesome 40th birthday party. Please give me money for, you know, I'm trying to get a thousand dollars to have this awesome bash. And they like exceeded their goal. All right. <laughs> But you don't even have to have a philanthropic cause to be able to raise money, right? So that completely destroys United Way's um, core asset, which is that monopoly on 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 that that space. Now, it's terribly mean to be like, "Well, I could have seen it coming, you know, ten years ago." Come on, guys! Like, and very, um, you know, there's a lot of hubris or or arrogance in saying, "Well, I would have seen it coming." But to some extent, I feel like if we were, you know, if you're pairing a really smart process development team with the people at the very top who are thinking about what do we need to be worried about for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and what are the decisions we need to make today to put us in the best position for whatever those circumstances are, if we had had that conversation uh, 10 years ago, and we could have, because you look at, you know, in 2008, e-commerce was huge, right? Like, Amazon existed and was a real thing, and it revolutionized the way that people think about shopping and the way that they, uh, you know, make those sorts of buying decisions. How could we ignore the fact that that that's you know going to trickle into the philanthropic space, and that eventually there's going to be some disruptive change in terms of how people do their philanthropy? You know, there was no ice bucket challenge in 2008, but it came along, right? Like these things happened. Um, and, and we, you know, theoretically could have said, let's look at what's going on around us. What does that mean for us 10 years from now? I think that if we, you know, if uh, there had been a, a, you know, that sort of relationship between a forward thinking prospect development team tied very closely to the people at the very top of the organization thinking about those long term things, um, we could have mitigated the, the issues that we're facing right now. Um, they're big trends. I mean, I'm, and I can't sit here and Monday morning quarterback and fault anyone who was at United Way 10 years ago for not seeing it because to some extent it's like, yeah, we can't predict the future. But some of the work that we do in prospect development is um, helping the organization hedge its bets on the future. You know what I mean? And say, 
well, it's pretty likely we're going to go this direction or this is going to happen. We see these sorts of demographic changes or these types of societal changes. That's the space where I think we can, you know, be adding more value and being a valued strategic partner is really helping leadership at that sort of level and being much more very much tied to them and being a critical resource of those insights and that information and the things that people need to make really smart decisions now about things that are going to be happening 10 years from now. So, like I said, there, I think there are definitely some shops where they're like, yeah, dude, we're doing that. And I'm like, fantastic. Um, please put a pre presentation on about that and keep telling other people that needs to be the kind of thing where we're like, yeah, that's just what you do. Um, you know, we're getting to the point now where, um, it's pretty well understood within any sophisticated fundraising shop that, you know, yeah, you have some function of prospect research in your shop. Like that's, you have to do that, right? Whether you are hiring someone or you have someone do that as other duties as assigned or you, you know, contract out for it, you know, organizations are getting savvy to that across the philanthropic spectrum in terms of all the nonprofits that are out there. Um, I think, and, and you know, prospect research has been around for almost 40 years and we're just now to that point. Well, how do we accelerate the change of thinking around this, you know, partnership for bigger picture strategic insights and, and um, you know, better thinking together. How do we accelerate that to be the norm within the next five to 10 years? I think that's the place where we, you know, with where there's sort of a, a big opening for us, a lot of fertile ground and, you know, we're the right people. This is the right time. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Oh, so many thoughts. That's, I love it. Um, first and foremost for the listeners, he used the word strategic insight, and if you don't find a way to put that in your resume, shame on you. <laughs> um, right away, I thought, I need to write this down so I can make sure this is integrated into my resume in a very strong way. I just put it uh, in the header. I've got my name, and I just go Mark, uh, and then strategic insight, insight, Eggy. Like, it's my nickname. All right. Oh, so we I'm should just start calling you that? I hope, I'm hope, I, is it pretentious? Is that a bit much? Nah. I'm hoping people don't see it as like that ironic thing, like the big guy at the lumber yard that you call tiny. <laughs> You know, they're like, oh, he's just doing that ironically. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start calling you strategic insight, Iggy. Um, also, I loved the idea that this concept of being these strategic insight kind of thought provoking leaders in our field. You know, I like to think of myself as a philanthropic advisor when I talk to people outside of Creighton, people who are I recently have been spending time with some executive directors at small nonprofits who will never have fundraisers and who I'm sort of sharing with them how to do their work better, more strategically, smarter. And that's fun for me. I love mm -hmm. it. But a lot of it, it's because we spend our time with our fingers on the pulse of philanthropy and how it's grown and changed over time and where it's headed. I was thinking, too, about so your landscape of power you have. We talked about relationships and that being sort of the one where you right now have a, a lot of influence or this is where you can spend your time growing. Mm -hmm. And then the skills and what you can do, which we all have. But I want to go back to your first point about there aren't many of us in the field who get past the AVP. And this is my own personal soapbox. So Mark can roll his eyes and the rest of you can just pause or fast yeah. forward. In that if you want to be a VP, if you want to lead a fundraising shop, if you want to be an executive director or a CEO, then I can't cuss. Darn it, do it. Because if we're if this is going to be the future of our field and if what Mardik is saying is where we are headed because we're on the cusp of this, then you are automatically putting yourself in a pathway to be that leader because you've already done the work, you've already done the influence with the relationships and you have the skills. So it's just moving yourself into that position. Now, 
I'm a big promoter of that, but I don't actually really want to do that type of work. But I want mm. other people to be doing it because I want to see philanthropy be smarter mm-hmm. worldwide. So that's my Amy yeah. Turbis soapbox. Well, and right. So like, <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying some of this, but whatever. They can edit it no out. one else is listening. It's just you and me in a private conversation, right? Sure. <laughs> um. You know, we talk about the title thing and and like, oh, you know, what's my career path in the prospect development field? And, you know, I feel like it's expanded even in the last 13 years since I've joined the field. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if 13 years ago there were a lot of people who were in that AVP kind of role um, at an organization, which I mean, I think is a, is a clear sign that we're moving much more in that direction of being that critical partner about insights and all that stuff. Um, and that's great. Um you know, I think about well, how much further can it go? And when I think about how organizations work, you know, I don't, mm, does it, you know, maybe it makes sense to have a vice president of, of analytics or whatever. Um, but ultimately when you start moving into like, I want to oversee a fundraising program, you're, you know, you have to have that frontline experience is kind of the way things are working right now, it appears. Right. So um, I think, you know, Shelby Radcliffe at, I think is she at Willamette. How do you pronounce that? Willamette? Willamette. I don't know. I'm going to get in trouble over there. Uh, I think she's the VP over there right now of advancement. And she got into that track. You know, she came up through uh, prospect development. She was a prospect researcher. And, but she, you know, was able to make that jump because she was actually doing frontline fundraising uh, when she was at Bucknell. So, you know, it's like if you want to move up in that direction and actually manage a shop, you're probably going to have to be out meeting with donors kind of thing. And so, you know, sometimes we're, I, I get a little weirded out when people are like, oh, we should have bigger titles and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, organizationally, we, that may not be where the, the capacity is for us. And we have to kind of like figure out how to expand and, and kind of jump outside of our lane and get bigger in that kind of a way. I'm not going to get – this is a debate that I actually think people should have, and maybe it's another podcast. I actually yeah. disagree that people in leadership should have to have done frontline development to manage a team that has frontline developers. That's a, oh sure. Um, that is not just for the, everyone to hear. That's not how the culture is, and I. It's like that at my current organization. It's like at world again worldwide that you have had to have been a frontline fundraiser before you can manage a shop. I completely disagree with that concept, but um, maybe that's a conversation for another day. But but Shelby was very intentional in doing what she did, knowing that she someday wanted to. I think run a fundraising organization and so did or department so to do that she provided herself with opportunities to do frontline fundraising which yeah. she encourages people in our field to do if that's um, something that you aspire to yeah and i'm you know i'm with you like i understand that thing of oh you shouldn't have to do that um i i, I think that there's some validity in that um you know if i'm in a position where i have to coach fundraisers on how to do their job better like mm, i'm not going to have be super well equipped for that. But I think the bigger thing for me, you know, when I say, oh, you need that kind of experience to move into that space is what you alluded to is that that's where we are right now, right? Like right. if I don't care what anyone thinks it should be, you know, like I, there's a whole lot of shoulds that I'm like, well, this and this and this. And, you know, we could, I could start a podcast just called Mark's Shoulds and it's me ranting for an hour. And another thing, this shouldn't blah, 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 right? You get so <laughs> many sponsors. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it'd be so great. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, right? Like, hmm, does a person have to have that? I don't know, probably not. But, like, that's where we are. So, like, there's there's hard truths like that that I think that um, that's a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, here's 
and and we'll move away from this in a second. I know we're getting off topic, but I was at a presentation that again our friend Shelby Radcliffe did, where I think it was Baltimore at the APRA conference, where she talked about you know the challenges of being the VP and having come up through that space. And her and David Shin, uh, David Shin's at uh, I think Baruch College in New York. He used to be on the board, wicked smart, um, but he moved up into that AVP, VP space kind of thing too. So the two of them were talking and Shelby was talking about, look, sometimes when I have to hire more staff and I need to raise more money, I'm hiring more fundraisers because that's how the math works. <laughs> and people were really upset about that, but it was just kind of like, that's a hard truth. I mean, like there's just times when you go, no, we actually need more people out making visits. And, um, you know, and that's, that's an unpopular thing to, I, I feel like a lot of people got upset about that, which... I'm not a I'm not a very empathetic person a lot of time, right? So this gets me in trouble, right? Because my rational brain is like, well, this is how it should, you know, this is logically how it is. Therefore, we should accept it. So I had a hard time, like me, you know, being super empathetic. I understand the knee jerk reaction reaction to that, um, but that's just one of the truths that we have to deal with is the fact that sometimes organizations go, yeah, we do have to hire more fundraisers, and I think where we play in that is when we're really smart about advocating for ourselves and we've built those relationships and we've done a god job of showing here's what we can do and here's what we can't do with our current resources when we're able to advocate in that kind of way and be out there talking about that tooting our own horns but also saying this is what's not getting done but could get done if you hired more people when we're doing that then we're in a better position to be able to you know tilt the scales in our favor when those hiring decisions do come up um so you know i mean i think it does come a lot of it comes back to the advocacy stuff and and being able to like influence without power and and you know understanding like if I'm a SVP of fundraising, I have to make some some of those types of decisions that are going to be really crummy for the prospect development team. And my job as the person who's building that relationship with my boss is I do have to use my empathy. I do have to understand, um, you know, what are the constraints that my boss is dealing with? And I can't just go in and be like, well, you need to do this thing for me because that's not how it works. You know, like she's got things she's worried about. And if I don't understand them, then I'm going to look like an idiot when I'm like, why can't we do this? Because, you know, she's like, well, because I'm trying to raise more money and we have four open positions. I'm not going to give one of those to you for stuff. You know, you, you don't need it. Right. So there is a lot of that stuff that that comes through the relationships. It puts in, us in a better position to be able to, um, you know, deal with those tough realities. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're kind of wrapping up on time now. Do you have anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you wanted to make sure that folks understood and got your message from your presentation or just sort of advocating for themselves. I, I personally think we touched on some really great ideas and some thoughts and I'm we almost started we might have started at the beginning of a revolution, perhaps. I don't know, at least asking everyone out there to be agents of disruptive change. Um, strategic insight Eggy here at least did. So from what I understand the revolution will not be televised. So yeah, yeah. um <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean no, I mean, there's so much in this, right? Like, I, I've been exhausted after doing this, but I've done three-hour presentations on it, right? Like, there's a ton of stuff to mine from this, and there's a ton, ton, ton of work to be done. Um, and it can be overwhelming. But I think that, you know, the only thing that I'll kind of, like, end on is that, um, you know, it's one thing to sit down and listen to this podcast or go to a presentation or whatever. It's another thing to say, how can I start implementing this? And so what I would challenge people to do with this is um, two things. Number one, just get an understanding of what your landscape looks like. Take, take 15 minutes, grab a beer, go sit on the porch and, and think through who are 
of the people that I engage with that have a stake in, you know, that there's a reason I should be caring about what they care about, right? Or understanding where they're at. So just figure out that landscape and just go, okay, here are the most important people. And then just start scheduling stuff with people. Just set it up. Just set up a coffee with someone and, you know, oh, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while and how's things going? And it can be about work. You can start from there. Um, it can just be personal too. And you kind of have to read the person and see what the, you know, what seems right in that situation. But sometimes it's just like, Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on what I'm doing and hear more about what you're doing. And, um, you know, would love to hear what's keeping you up at night. That's enough to get going. Um, so if, if you do nothing else, just take one of those steps and just start moving in that direction. Um, if you get a little bit, bit of momentum with it, you can develop like a, a, a habit with it and, and, pretty soon you're going to be, you know, establishing a lot of relationships, keeping a lot of relationships really fresh and really good. And you'll be in a position to like do a lot more influencing and, and building of power. I would like to challenge all the people out there that who have either listened to the podcast or who saw Mark's presentations. If you've had any successes, if you've done something, if you, you know, took Mark's words to heart and did it. And if you or just something a little different in, to success, I'd like you to share those stories. If you could just send them to info at aprahome.org, the advocacy committee wants to hear about them. Of course, we'll probably encourage you to do a presentation at Afra PD. That's the fourth plug, maybe fifth, this, present, this, this podcast. Or we'll ask you to maybe write an article for Connections or just tweet about it, whatever. We want other people to know that it's not that this is something bigger than Mark and I, that's bigger than the APRA board, that's bigger than the um, the conference. We want people to know that our members are out there doing great stuff and leading from where they stand. So I really want you to, to share that. That's awesome. With or without your beer. Whatever works for you. Right. So Yes. A, a, a nice Ari Palmer, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd say some Earl Grey. Hot. Patrick Stewart. Wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for being great. here today. Thanks, APRA Advocacy Committee. So you've just listened to Hey Advocacy, the Advocacy Committee podcast. And for those who um, have stories to share, again, it's info at aprahome.org. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.